welcome to the Things I Wish I'd Known podcast, where guests share learning from life experiences to help others on the same path. Hello and welcome to the Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. My name is Sophia Giblin and I'm the host of this podcast and I'm here to let you know a little bit more about what you can expect going forward and also to let you know a little bit more about me. So I was inspired to set up this podcast after a talk that I did at a secondary school with a group of teenage girls and I went in there to share with them some things that I wish that I had known when I was a teenager and I thought, do you know what, that's actually a really interesting topic. There's so much that every single one of us can learn from other people or can share from our own experiences that I wanted to share on a bigger platform with fantastic guests and people who understand the needs of children and mental health. So I'm the founder of an organisation called Clear Sky Children's Charity and it's a charity that provides play and creative arts therapy to kids who have experienced trauma or challenging early life circumstances And we support them by giving them one-to-one play and creative arts therapy. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story because the story of how I came to running a charity was quite an interesting one and not something that I ever expected that I would do. But this story starts back in my own childhood. So sadly, when I was a teenager, when I was 15, I lost my mum to cancer. And she had a very short battle with the disease and she passed away within three months of diagnosis in the year that I was doing my GCSEs. She actually passed away during my maths GCSE exam. I remember it really vividly being called out of the exam to go and see her and be with her when she passed away. So what happened was I was in this really, I guess, challenging period of life anyway, being a teenager, teenage girl uh, at 15 having to do my exams and then on top of that a massive trauma of losing my mum and you know life throws these sorts of things at you and there's not much you can do about it but there's a hell of a lot that you can learn from it and I went through the next few years sort of feeling very very lost I didn't want to go back to school I didn't want to finish my GCSEs I didn't want to go to university I didn't didn't really want to do anything at that point I kind of just wanted to give up and I was at that time in my life when My friends were all thinking about what they'd do at their A-levels, what they're going to do at university and ultimately what career they're going to have when they come at the other end. And for me, I couldn't see a future. I just saw bleakness, really. Felt very, very lost, very grief-stricken, very depressed as well at times. And so I went through life kind of just going through the motions, feeling kind of numb and not really dealing with the fact that this massive trauma had happened in life. So after my GCSE exams, um, my dad kind of convinced me to go back to school. He kind of bribed me, said he would buy me a car, which I thought, okay, fine, I'll do it, just because I want the car, not because I want the education. And um, I I did end up going back to school. I didn't do very well in my A-levels. I only got two in the end and um, came out and I of school thinking, what, do, what on earth do I do next? Like, I just feel so lost. Um, I took a gap year and I worked with children. I worked with kids in a school, which was called National Centre for Young People with Epilepsy at the time. It's now called Young Epilepsy. Uh, and it's a school for children with, with epilepsy, but also with 
profound and multiple learning disabilities some of them um, some of them more high functioning with things like autism but every, every child there had epilepsy and they a lot of them lived on site and I worked in the classroom as a teaching assistant with children who were profoundly um, had profound disabilities and epilepsy so lots of the children I worked with were non-verbal they couldn't talk so we had to learn new ways of communicating together and so often we were communicating using play and even little things like eye contact and smiles and touch uh, it was really really simple basic communication stuff that is actually when you look into it really complex it's the stuff we kind of take for granted the eye contact the smiles the reactions the reflections and i just loved this work i loved it so much i had so much love for children and the innocence of children and seeing them go through challenging situations you know really gets me in the heart um and you know i was still i guess at that time reeling from my own experience of childhood of losing my mum and in a way still very much childlike I suppose in myself so I, I did that for a year and then my dad again <laughs> my dad the hero of the story you've got to go to university just go to university just do it you've got the opportunity now go and do a degree in business and go and get yourself a nice little marketing job at the end so my dad works in sales so he's pretty good at selling selling me into the idea first of all um I found it really hard I didn't really know what to expect and I was really hugely anxious at the time and I hadn't quite acknowledged that my mum's death had left such a deep feeling of anxiety with me daily. I just kind of thought that I was a bit scared of the world um, but now I know actually you know there was some serious anxiety going on there. I was really had the rug pulled out from underneath me very early on and it's no wonder that I would feel anxious about life when my main caregiver um, my mum was no longer with me to look after me. So I did go to university. I went and did a business administration degree. Uh, I I didn't try very hard, you know, I, I quite enjoyed the experience of university and I actually enjoyed my degree, but I had no real idea what I was going to do with it afterwards. And I was going for all these um, nice little marketing jobs that my dad had promised me out of university. Um, I was also trying for nice little HR jobs, nice little sales jobs nice little purchasing jobs and not getting anywhere. I was not an exceptional candidate for any of the roles, although I had my degree, I didn't have any experience. Also, I didn't really care enough. I was still reeling from what had happened when I was 15. So by the time I graduated at 21 or 22, I just went back to my job at the school with the kids because it was safe and I was happy there and I knew that I liked it and that I could do it and it made me feel good. So after some time, I kind of thought, I do really need to use this business qualification somewhere, but I don't quite know how to use it. And because I wasn't sure of what kind of career I was going to have, I started looking to other people in my life for some inspiration about what I could do. Um, at the time, my cousin was training as a play therapist. Now, I'd never heard of play therapy before. And when she told me about it, she explained that it's like counselling for children, but instead of talking, you use play and creativity and drama and movement and dressing up and puppets to help children to explore feelings without needing them to talk about what had happened. When I heard that, the penny just dropped 
And I realized that that is exactly the sort of support that would have been really helpful for me and my younger siblings when our mum had died. I started to look back on my life and at that time of coming out of university was really struggling with my mental health, feeling very depressed, very anxious, that, that had sort of got worse over time. And when my cousin told me this about play therapy, I thought, oh, it's really not good enough that we didn't get support that we needed when we needed it the most, when we were children, when we could have had a chance to actually deal with the trauma and the grief at the time when we needed it. And it all seemed to make sense to me then. And because of my natural love for, for children and for wanting what's best for children, I felt really compelled to set up a charity to help other children like me and my siblings who are going through a tough time so that they can get the support that they need when they need it the most. I had this idea, I had this fire in my heart and I just decided, do you know what, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take a chance. I was young enough and naive enough to think that I could make anything happen, which is something that I've never lost actually. Even amidst all the trauma of losing my mum, I still maintain the feeling that I can make good things happen for myself, which has really carried me through many, many difficult times. So I just went about setting up the charity. I got in touch with people who could help me. I wrote letters to hundreds of people. I wrote funding bids. I learned everything that I could in my spare time, whilst also holding down another full-time job. And over time, I I learned that I'm actually, I'm really good at getting help from people. I'm good at asking for help. I'm good at getting people on board with an idea because this idea and notion of helping children in childhood touches so many of us. Everybody listening here will have their own experience of childhood. And so many of us have traumatic experiences of childhood that I think it kind of came quite naturally to lots of people to want to help. Um, and that's still the case today. So this was in 2011. So gosh, nearly 10 years ago, we got our charity number. Although I started um, much earlier than that. I start actually started the company in 2010. And the next thing that I did, you know, I had these business skills, but no experience at all of working in business. Um, and I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to set up a play therapy charity. I need to know the ins and outs of play therapy. And so I went off to train as a play therapist. And I started my training in 2011 and didn't finish until 2017. I went through and did my master's in play therapy and studying for all of those years, lots of work with children, lots of work supervising other therapists. Um, and then my master's was about the parent-child relationship and how parents can actually make massive improvements in their child's emotional well-being just through connection and play. So my journey naturally went from um, a place of providing something for children with trained experts who can give children what they need in the early stages, to then understanding my own experience and exploring my own wounds and the trauma and healing some of that stuff for myself, to then thinking about, okay, well, how can we actually address the core issue here around mental health? And the core thing that we've all got in common, that all children have in common, is that when there is a trauma, there are usually relationships that children have with parents or caregivers that can be hugely protective in the face of trauma. So my thoughts naturally went to, well, how can I help parents and caregivers provide children exactly what they need in terms of safety and security and that relationship, which is a foundation for good mental health? How can I help 
provide that to people on a bigger scale than what I'm able to do in the charity. So what I did was for my masters, I actually designed a whole program online for parents, which I've called Treasure Time. And it helps parents um, learn and understand child development and trauma, but also with tied in with really practical tips and strategies about what you can actually do to help increase children's self-esteem, to help strengthen the relationship between yourself and your child. Um, paired with weekly playtimes. So this all happens in the context of a playful relationship. And what I did in my study was get parents to um, spend 30 minutes a week just playing with their child and practicing these skills I gave them. And the results that we saw were amazing. So over a really short period, I saw parents, um, children's emotional difficulties reducing by 14%, which is which is massive. Parents' confidence increasing, parents' stress levels decreasing by over 10%. And that is just with a half an hour playtime a week over a very short period. So what I've done this year is I've actually turned that into an online course called Treasure Time, which will be released in September under Clear Sky Children's Charity, that parents can access and you know, that I hope will have an impact on a much wider scale compared to the work that we can do as therapists, which is very often just one-to-one. So this is my one-to-many offering for any parent that wants to strengthen the relationship with their child to help children work through trauma or to be a protective factor in the face of unknown traumas that may crop up across the lifespan. That's where we're at today. Clear Sky Children's Charity delivers some fantastic work in Oxfordshire in the Thames Valley. We deliver one-to-one therapy services for children in schools, in primary schools specifically. Um, We use a number of therapists, so we don't just have play therapists, um, like me, I'm a play therapist, but we also have drama therapists, dance and movement therapists, art therapists, and other um, creative types of therapists, because... Ultimately, the thing that all of those therapists have in common is that we use creative mediums to help children explore feelings rather than relying on talking as the only thing that helps. Interestingly, I did have an an experience with somebody providing support to me when I was 15. And I, I wonder if this is also why I so passionately believe in creative therapy because my experience wasn't actually a great one. Um, when my mum was ill, she was in hospice because she had cancer and the hospice did provide support for children and young people in the form of groups and also one-to-one counselling. Now you can't see but I'm doing counselling in air quotes because um, when I went to see this lady she, she was a very lovely lady, she was really sweet, really nice but as a therapist now myself I could probably tell you that she wasn't a trained counsellor. She probably was a volunteer and she probably had a little bit of training, but not much. So I can vividly remember these sessions, and I probably only saw her two or three times. But she'd say things to me that were quite judgmental, that made me feel very small, that made me feel quite vulnerable. Uh, she'd give me advice, which, you know, is counselling. No, no. She would give me her opinions. And what actually happened was it made me feel completely overwhelmed. I was being talked to like I was an adult in this, in this situation when I felt very much like a ver- very small, vulnerable child. I know I was 15, but 
I think we expect a bit too much of teenagers, to be honest, because it's that difficult time in life where there's all this rapid brain change and hormonal change too. And oh gosh, it's it's tough. We can't te- treat 15-year-olds like they're adults. They're not. They're just not. So, you know, I, w- I had the experience of being treated like an adult when probably I would have benefited from, from some space to just be myself, to play or to do art I love painting or clay or anything like that, something creative, where I had an opportunity to build a relationship with an adult outside of the family who made me feel safe. That's probably all that I needed because there wasn't any safety for me with the adults in my life because everyone was grieving. And when I say safety, I don't mean like I was physically in danger. I mean emotional safety. So if you imagine as a child you're, you've lost somebody and everyone in the family is grieving your grief as a young person triggers the grief of the adults around you all the time and often children get told things like to stop being sad or stop making everyone feel sad or just to get on with it and I, that's just not the message that we need to give to children and I, I do totally understand it in, from the perspective of parents it's tough right you especially in the face of bereavement, what do you do? What do you do? That's like an impossible question to answer. And so I think having people outside of the family who can be there for the children is so important, particularly, you know, grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone really who can rally around the family, but but be there for the children who are not scared to talk about it, who are not scared of the children's feelings, who are not scared to... Um, maybe feel grief for themselves too when the children talk about it but it is all about relationships so had I had an opportunity with with my counsellor in air quotes to just build a relationship and have somebody that I felt I could talk to that would have been really helpful for me and I didn't need her to ask me a million questions I don't need to talk about the fact that I'm really sad every day I don't need that what I need is some light in my life and some joy and some play and friends and normal things but I do also need adults that I can reach out to if I'm in a time of need so very much my journey has been about empowering other adults who work with children whether they're therapists or teachers or counsellors or parents how to help children work through traumatic times and it does come down to as really as basic as the relationship you have with children So in the spirit of the podcast, here are some of the things that I wish that I had known when I was a teenager and I was going through bereavement. So the first thing, and this sounds like a real cliche, actually probably loads of these um, things I wish I'd known (laughs) will be cliches because it's only with hindsight that you can see that it's true. But the first thing is that happiness is an inside job. Uh, and that you're the only person that can make change in your life. So I think I, when I started having therapy, when I was sort of about 23, I first went to go and get help from somebody. Um, I actually was really put off by my experience in, in childhood of seeing a counsellor because I thought, I don't, I don't really want to go to that place again. It just feels uncomfortable. I just don't want to do it. Um, but when I, I kind of got to a place where I was forced to because... I was really, really struggling. And um, I really thought that my therapist, counsellor, was going to fix me. I thought 
okay, well, they'll tell me what's wrong and they'll tell me how to fix it and then I'll just do it and I'll be better. And anyone who's had therapy or counselling or um, will know that that is not the case. So what they'll give you is a space to express yourself and they'll act like a mirror to your experience and reflect it back to you to help you understand it. But really, it's not a quick fix type thing. And do I often hear people say... Oh, you know, but I've had six sessions of CBT, so I'm fine now. And I just think, no, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Um, it, we really need to get to know ourselves and understand ourselves and have a relationship with ourselves. Um, and this is an internal job. And it's something that we, we can only work out for ourselves. And there are people out there who can help us for sure, like counsellors and therapists and healers even, or, you know, depending on what your bag is, there are people out there for sure that can get you on the right path. But you have to do the work. It doesn't just, it won't just land on your lap and it won't be easy actually. Um, going through the wound is probably the most difficult thing that you can do. But on the other side of that wound, there is light and there is real freedom. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I wish I'd known, or that I learnt later on, and probably, you know, not even that long ago, I've learnt this bit, is that you need to become your own good enough parent. You need to self-parent yourself. So in the absence of a parent, you know, if if bereavement, or even if you just maybe haven't had a great parenting experience, as we get older, we have to learn to become our own good enough self-parent and good enough just means you get it right most of the time um, but not 100% you don't have to be 100% we can be good enough and this is like taking that concept of self-care we all heard we've all heard about self-care right it's looking after yourself when you feel burned out um, but for me self-care doesn't really go far enough it it can sometimes be a bit of an enabler self-care to not do anything so self-care might look like (laughs) different for different people right having a bubble bath and eating chocolate and just lying around all day and having a rest you know at times they're they're that's really important and you do need to do that but I I do find with myself that sometimes I can use self-care as an excuse to not do things that are difficult And this has been real learning for me. So for a long time, I probably was sat in the self-care bubble of, oh, I can't possibly do that because I'm doing self-care. When actually what I need to do is self-parent. And self-parenting is much harder because it's like looking at yourself and saying, okay, you know, I know you really don't want to, but you need to get up off that sofa and go and do some exercise. Or um, I know you're feeling really exhausted and tired, but the thing that you need to do is go and cook yourself a nutritious meal it's not go and get a takeaway um so self-parenting is actually like almost being a bit more stern and strict with yourself to make sure that you do the things that you need to do to keep yourself filled up nourished healthy working well all of those things and self-care does factor into that but for me it's very much more around being my own self-parent so other things that i've learned the other thing i learned is that um through helping others you can heal your own wounds this has been my whole experience with Clear Sky really is healing my own inner wounds and then helping others to do the same. Um, but what came first was helping others, helping others to heal theirs and then mine healed as a result. Um, and it's an ongoing process, right? You never just heal from trauma like that. It doesn't really work like that. It's an ongoing process. It's a daily thing. But 
if you put your mind to it and your energy into serving other people and doing something that you needed for yourself when you were younger or in a different difficult time you can through channeling that energy actually make help yourself to feel better help yourself to feel more whole help yourself to heal so if you've got a project that you're really passionate about go for it just do it we need more people in the world who are going to do good things for themselves and for others and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that at all oh and finally something that i wish i'd known i kind of wish i had known earlier that always talking about a problem doesn't necessarily make it better so we're kind of in a a period at the minute where we're all about talking about mental health which is great raising awareness is much much needed on a personal level if you're always talking about a problem um, or you're always fixated on a trauma or something that's happened it can actually leave you stuck in the trauma and not able to move through it so This definitely has happened for me because I've had to tell my story over and over again as part of the charity. And I came to a point where I thought, this story is burning me out. What is is going on here? I don't have the emotional energy to keep telling this story. And I realised it's because talking about it keeps me stuck there, right? I can talk about it in in therapy I could talk about it with a therapist and they'd help me to see different parts of it and there'll come a point where actually talking about it doesn't serve any purpose for me anymore um but also you know in that experience I had as a youngster when I was encouraged to talk about it like an adult would and with a counsellor talking just kept me in a place of feeling fearful and scared and I probably would have much uh, benefited much more for something creative, something body-based even, something movement-based, something that brought me back to my breathing, to mindfulness, to yoga, to journaling, to meditation, whatever. Something that brings me back to my body uh, and out of my head, where when I'm in my head all the time, I'm constantly talking about the issues, right? And this is where anxiety is. It's in the thoughts. It's in the constant churning over of thoughts and um, stories and beliefs. If I can get back into my body, actually, I can have a bit of respite from talking about this issue. I can actually just feel it and breathe through it. That's something that I've learned recently as well, is that when things feel uncomfortable, our tendency is to avoid them, is to shove it down or to think, I'll deal with that later. And you can't do that because the body will just hold on to the trauma and, you know, manifest itself as illness or stress or anxiety. So what we need to do is feel the feelings and just breathe through them because when we can do that then we can move forward sometimes they're so stuffed down there that we do need to talk about them and we do need a professional to help us uncover some of that stuff that might be buried in our subconscious or um, just that we we don't want to look at we don't want to shine light on but if we can if we can go there if we know what it is that's bothering us if we can feel the feelings and just breathe through them then we can actually release some of that trauma And I think that's something really important that we all need to be thinking about every day. How can I release old patterns, old trauma, old challenges, old things that are holding me back so that I can move forward with my life and so that I can do good things for myself and for other people. So those are just a few of the things that I wish that I'd known a bit earlier on in my journey. 
Um, as you can appreciate, there's many, many more, which I will talk about as we go on with our guests on the podcast. But for me, it's really important that Clear Sky does all the amazing work that it does with children and with families, because it's given me an outlet for expressing myself, my trauma and um, channeling it for something good and helping me to move forward as well. So I'm really super proud of everything that the Clear Sky team does every single day in the service of children and families. So as well as all of the one-to-one work that we do with children, we also work with parents and we run groups called Playful Parents, where we teach parents over a 10-week period how to set up one-to-one playtimes with their children for good emotional well-being for the kids and for the parents too, which we see some amazing results from, even in the face of really difficult circumstances. And we run that in primary schools. Um, We also run a number of practitioner trainings around attachment play, which is probably my favourite topic ever. So this is about helping practitioners like therapists or family workers to support parents to do one-to-one playtimes with their children at home but within this playtime you're solidly working on attachment and on the relationship with between the parent and the child Um, and as well as that so that that's the parent-child attachment play training that we do we also run training called heart to heart which teaches the same um, mechanism of strengthening attachments but in groups so with parents and children together a number of parents and children and that group goes all the way up to teenagers which is a whole other kettle of fish and we run um, the same programs but very very little with babies and toddlers called baby bonding now these trainings are probably the favorite thing that I that we do at Clear Sky and they are created by um, a lovely lady called Debbie Maskell Graham who's an author and a researcher who we work really closely with And I recommend these trainings to anyone who works closely with children and families because it is so powerful and such important work to get in there early on and it's the early intervention piece really so that children don't need to go on to sit on waiting lists for support through the NHS for six months. You know, get in there, get in with the families and do what we can um, to help parents empower parents to become agents of change for their children it's a much more cost effective way of dealing with mental health issues and it's much kinder because it it works within the relationships that are designed to keep children safe and it it, it gives children what they need lots of children who are sat on waiting lists for for support through their local child and adolescent mental health services really could benefit from just some work with themselves and their parents It's not always necessarily diagnosable mental health issues that they might be struggling with. It might be the fact that they don't necessarily feel safe in their relationships. So stay tuned to the podcast for loads more on relationships and play and trauma and how we can help children move through because there's a wealth of knowledge that can be shared from myself but also from the wonderful guests that we're going to have on the podcast. So my job is to bring in people who are going to educate and inspire you and people like authors or thought leaders in their area who have their own personal stories but who also maybe professionally have some really good insights and knowledge to share with you as a listener that you can practically put in place every single day when you work with children or when with your own children or even just for yourself you know we're all still we're just grown-up children right and some of us need to go back and revisit that childhood stuff and work through it so that we can be better for our own children or for the next generation of children. 
So if you're a therapist, a counsellor, a teacher, um, someone who works in childcare, someone who has anything to do with children, if you have your own children, then this podcast is for you. And generally, if you're just interested in mental health and well-being and healing your own inner child and self-reparenting, then this is the podcast for you. And I can't wait to share more episodes with you as we go along. So new episodes are released every Tuesday morning. And if you don't want to miss out, then make sure that you click follow and subscribe so that you get notifications of the new podcast episodes. And make sure to tune in to our first guest episode where I'm talking to Giles Paley Phillips, the award-winning and best-selling children's author of a number of books. Um, He's also the co-host of a podcast called The Blank Podcast, and he's sharing the things that he wishes that he had known when he'd lost his mum as a six-year-old, but also about writing children's books, and in particular his book around bereavement that can be used as a tool with children. So make sure that you tune in on Tuesday morning for that episode, and I look forward to seeing you there. Bye!